Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Jeff Henderson. Well, I'm here with one of my favorite people, Carrie Newhoff. And Carrie, I... I, you're doing so many things now. How would you even describe what you're doing? <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I transitioned a year ago into a role at the church where I serve from lead pastor to founding and teaching pastor, which I think means I used to be important. I think that's the founding <laughs> part. And you're then, still important. Oh, yeah. And then uh, really focusing on teaching, coaching a brand new lead pastor and working on sort of strategic direction and, and helping with the, the directional leadership of the church, which I really enjoy. But yeah, I, I I just, uh, I've got my finger in a number of pies. It's sort of a new season. And I, I've, yeah, got a podcast that just turned to a blog that's about four years old. Uh, I've written three books in the last few years, working on uh, actually a big book uh, now for release in another year and a half and do a lot of speaking and a little bit of consulting. And, and I'm having a lot of fun. And that's in addition to being a dad and a husband. So there you go. Well- and you're doing exactly what we're talking about. You're a launcher. You've, you've launched yeah. churches, you've launched books and podcasts. And it's one of the many reasons I wanted to talk to you because tell us as you've launched all this and then now that you're in a transition season, talk about some of the best practices that you've learned that you've been able to, to use, whether it's a church, podcast, online product. What are some of the best launching practices that you could share with us? Well, I think everybody's kind of got, um, an initial group that you start with. Like when I launched Connexus Church eight years ago, uh, there were a number of us who had been together for about 12 years and we just said, hey, do you want to start over again in a non-denominational context? So that was a pretty big launch. We started with a pretty big base of like hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, but before that, I started with like, I think, I think you start where you start. And so when I started in ministry 21 years ago, Jeff, we kind of had to launch new churches and existing churches because the existing churches were just so small and, and, and not strong. They hadn't grown in literally 40 years. One of the churches had six people in it. Another had an average attendance of 14. And the mega church had 23 people attending. So, <laughs> you know, and the average age, I was 30. I mean, the average age of the people in the church were like uh, 50 years more than me. It was crazy. Wow. Maybe not 40. But, you know, they were all in their 60s, 70s, 80s. And a lot of people look at that and go, oh, there's no potential. But, like, I was young, and I didn't know any better, so I just thought, well, this is what I got. Let's figure this out. And um, that small group of aging people in a stuck congregation within five years became the fastest-growing Presbyterian church in the country. Wow. And, you know, it was just it was just vision, and, and you start with what you have. And I think... You know, I think two things can paralyze people who are launching. One is you think you need a million dollars and you need a thousand people or 10,000 people. And the truth is you don't. Like I had, I, I say I've been blogging for four years, Jeff, but I started a blog eight years ago. And like most bloggers, it was uh, fits and starts, right? You know, right. so every January, there's a lot of posts. But by the time you get to March, right, it gets a, a little crickety. Lean, right. Yeah, a little lean, a little lean. It was a lean month. That's the way you would put it. And so <laughs> I did that on and off. I actually started the blog because we were starting a church and it was the easiest way to communicate with people. And, you know, so I was very consistent. But then after the launch phase of Connexus Church, where I serve now, um, my blog, it's kind of like, well, 
was looking for a purpose. And I almost shut it down twice because, you know, you have these best of intentions that you're going to blog and then you just don't and you're embarrassed and you're like, I have no credibility. Um, But I released my second book in 2012 and I had just read Michael Hyatt's Platform, which I'm sure, even though it's an older book now, um, still really, really relevant, really helpful. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have read that book. And I just realized I needed to own some real estate, and I already owned real estate. It was just kerryneuhoff.com. So why not just make it better? So I spent a grand total of, I think, $79 on a new theme, uh, got a friend to install it, and I started, I just made a commitment to blog uh, three times a week. That was it. That was September of 2012. Um, Another thing that really helps me, because I'm very driven, is I set goals. And so I just decided, Jeff, that I was going to try to reach 100,000 leaders in that first year of blogging in 2013, which to me seemed absolutely inconceivable, like impossible. It was a ridiculous target. But I knew the only way I was going to motivate myself to you know, actually get up at five o'clock in the morning and write three times a week was was going to be to have a ridiculous goal. So I had that that huge goal. And I think at the time, even with my fits and spurts, I was maybe getting 30,000 liters a year. So it's like, I need triple the traffic, more than that, to, to motivate myself. And it's amazing what consistency does. Like literally for a $79 theme and just a little bit of mojo and getting up early in the morning... Um, man, it wasn't 100,000. I was blown away as I started to share whatever I wrote on. That was another strategy for launch. It was like, well, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram as it was sort of starting out, or maybe it was Hipstagram at the time. I can't remember. But I thought, I'll share what I have on my existing social media channels, thinking, Jeff, that, that it would actually shut everybody down. Like thinking that all my friends would go like, you're an idiot, you're just a spammer, and I'm going to defriend you. Well, just the opposite happened. My social media platform started to grow as I linked to stuff I was writing, and we didn't reach 100,000 page views in the first year. It was, to my utter shock, 700,000 page wow. views, which soon became a million, which today is like somewhere between three and four million page views and a couple million leaders in 2016. So, you know, a lot of it was just the discipline of starting and ditto with the podcast. Uh, When I launched that two years ago, just as we're recording this, we're celebrating the second anniversary of the podcast, um, I knew it was going to be consistency, doing something every week. And again, it wasn't a massive budget. I already had a computer and I think I spent a grand total of $1,000, one on a really good mic, half of it on this microphone, and then a little mix, a mixer and you know a couple of other things. And honestly, I do the intro extra still in GarageBand, which is now free software on your Mac. So it wasn't like a ton of money. Um, I mean, $1,000 is a lot of money, but you can do it for cheaper if you want to. It was just the desire to do it and then sharing it on existing channels. And then hopefully, you know, if there's a magic in it, um, the content has to be half good, you right, know, right. And, and otherwise, you know, people aren't going to share it. But by the grace of God, you know, all, all that has taken place. So, you know, I wish I could, I wish it was more strategic, but I think discipline is a really big part of it. And then getting over the fear of like, I need a billion dollars, which you don't. You can start for for dozens of dollars, like I did with my blog. Or, um, you know, waiting until you have that perfect product to to ship. Because you'll never have a perfect product because you'll never ship. 
um, has to be good, but it doesn't have to be fantastic on day one. Well, I love what you, you're talking about, the discipline of starting. That, just starting, that's, that's really half the battle. And then oh, yeah. tr- just, just, get, just get it going, get it started, get it out there. And then you're also talking about, and this is a biblical principle, don't despise the days of early beginnings. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Jeff, it's, it's funny because I'm really looking forward to this new season. I say I'm writing a big book. I feel like even though I have three books— This is going to be the first book I've truly written um, when it comes out, because I've squeezed everything else into the margins. I wrote a book that's done extremely well with a really gifted co-writer, a mutual friend, Reggie Joyner, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. I wrote that... Which is a great parenting book, by the way. Well, you know, the backstory is always less glamorous than the front story, but I wrote that on Christmas vacation in 2009. It was like, I was running so hard, I took a week off. And I pounded out like 20,000 words to get the first draft done the week of Christmas vacation, maybe 30,000. I don't even know how I did it. And then Reggie took it and, you know, made it better. And then I took it and I changed it up again. And then he took it. And, you know, at the end, now I can't tell who wrote what anymore. But like that got the first draft out of the gate. And then my last book called Lasting Impact, Seven Powerful Conversations That Can Help Your Church Grow, was a really fun project. And, And thinking about launch, I mean, the crazy part about that, Jeff, was Again, during Christmas break, I thought, well, I did it once, maybe I can do it again. So in Christmas break, 2014, 2015, I thought, I'm going to write a book. Well, I just spent too much time with my family, which is awesome, and you should do that. But (laughs) New Year's Day hits, Jeff and I, I, 2015, I, I don't have a book. I don't have an outline. I don't have anything. And so I'm writing a New Year, New Year's Day, New Year's Day blog post, and It's like seven conversations every church team needs to have. And I took seven subjects linked to about, I don't know, five to ten blog posts I had already written in the previous years about, you know, hey, if you want to look at why people are attending church less often, click these five posts. If you want to look at um, how to grow a healthy leadership team, click these eight posts. And so it was just like an aggregate post that I had done for New Year's Day. And as I hit publish, I thought, you know what? This could be a book. And so I emailed or texted a mutual friend, Kevin Jennings, and I said, hey, I know I was supposed to do a book. Guess what? I failed. Do you think this could be a book? And so we got on the phone the next day. Within a week, we had hired an editor who had worked on some New York Times bestselling books. Uh, She took all of my original writing, turned it into a first draft. Uh, This was January. I got that in mid-February, rewrote it. Um, then went back to her, went back to me in March, and by April we had galley copies. Like, wow, it's just fun, you know. So, so often you think, oh, I can't do this or I don't have time, but it's amazing what you can do when you put your your mind to it and you just decide to do the best with what you have. And then our lifetime goal for that, because it was for church leaders, you know, it's not really gonna do particularly well. Uh, we thought maybe we'll sell 5,000 copies. Well, to our utter astonishment, it's not even a year old. We've sold 17,000 copies and counting. And so we put some more resources behind that, and, and we've got big plans for that book moving forward. So, you know, don't despise small beginnings, and don't underestimate what you can accomplish even when you don't have a lot of time and you don't have a lot of money. And it was that goal of a hundred thousand that really, really drove you. So as you're, as you're thinking about what you want to launch, as I think a specific goal is, or a specific question is, what is your goal? And as Gary said, a hundred thousand seemed ridiculous, and yet it's been way beyond that. So what is your goal? 
What can you do to start the discipline of starting and don't despise the days of humble beginnings? You can do it even if you don't have a big budget. And Carrie, I think you would agree with this. Sometimes when you have big budgets, it actually creates a laziness in less ideas. The ideas are not as good when you're forced to really think through them. You can get lazy with money. Oh, I think you're totally right. You you can get lazy with money. It also adds layers of complexity. You know, one of the things I love about the startup days and I love about a lean and nimble organization is like, I mean, I was meeting with one of my team members Friday morning in Atlanta for breakfast and we just talked about redesigning my entire blog and moving it to a new platform and doing this and doing that. And he's like, when do you want to start? I'm like, right now. Let's just start right now. And then, you know, that's fun. When you're in a multi-million dollar organization, there's no right now. There's no like breakfast meeting where you just change your whole trajectory. And to me, (laughs) when I look back over 21 years, that's where I operate the best. I, you know, I love the leadership team meetings that happen in a car or, you know, at a booth for lunch. Those are, those are the best. They're my favorite. Well, let's keep talking about that because I want to talk about your your next book is going to lean into this. How do you get all this stuff done? Like, how do you manage your time on a week to week basis? And for many launchers, as they're trying to launch and turn good intentions into reality, that also means that they have a day job as well. Yeah, and you, you had a day job as well, which is leading a thriving church, and that takes a lot of energy. And yet, you also were able to. Uh, throw some lines out into the water, if you will, to see if you could catch a bite in a blog or a book or whatever. So give us some insights on how you manage your time on a week-to-week basis. What does that look like for you? Sure, happy to, you know, and I outline this in in a lot more detail in a new resource we're releasing more widely this fall called The High Impact Leader. But I'll give you, you know, this was a big journey and probably one of the hardest journeys I've had to make, Jeff, over the last probably decade. So I burned out 10 years ago. In 2006, I had like a complete burnout, physical, emotional burnout. And and that was tough. And that was the result of a number of things, one of which was poor time management. It was just, you know, as things got bigger and our church got bigger and we were the fastest growing and blah, 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 blah. You know, I spent all of my 30s not writing a book (laughs) because everyone said, you need to write a book. I'm like, I'm too busy. Now, my kids were younger at the time and the whole deal. But like, you know, you you always think, well, I'll just get more hours in the day. Nobody ever gives you more hours in the day. You just get more responsibility and more work. So after I burned out, I came back and I thought, you know, I I can't go back to normal because you know, normal got me to that point. I need a new normal. And so I hired some corporate coaches and some leadership coaches, and I went to a lot of counseling and spent thousands of dollars on that stuff. And out of it, you know, it took a lot longer than it's going to take in, you know, that I can teach it now or, or, or than I can say in a few minutes. But, you know, over the years, I kind of realized, okay, I'm only really good at a few things. So one of the things you have to do is you have to figure out what are you best at? You know, and I believe the highest capacity leaders do what they're best at when they're at their best. And so learning what I was best at, because when you're in the startup phase, everything, you're a generalist, right? Like Jeff, you'll you'll love this, but there was a time where I did graphic design for our church. It was horrible graphic design. (laughs) The the clip art people loved me. But, you know, I mean, now we have actual designers and and I can't even comment on it other than, wow, that's great. Like I I can add almost no value to it at this point. 
right? And sometimes well, you set you have, them up for success. That's what you say. That's I set I, you up. <laughs> I set you up to succeed, that's right. man. Yeah. So I'm really what I realized over a period of a couple of years as I asked lots of people around me this question and prayed about it and and reflected myself. I'm basically a communicator. And so when, when Connexus is at its best, I'm communicating well, I'm casting vision, and the team is healthy. It's those three things. And I thought, well, if that's true, none of those are things that other people ask you to do. And so I had to make a shift from being a reactive leader to being a proactive leader. I had to move from, you know, allowing my inbox, text messages, and requests uh, move from them dictating my calendar to me deciding ahead of time what I was going to do. And I also realized that time management had limits, like just real, real limits. Like you can, you only get so many hours in a day. Right. But I did realize a couple of principles. Number one, not all hours are created equal. So I soon learned at the phase I was at in life, I was best in the morning. That, you know, when I get paid to think and I get paid to write, it really involves my brain. And if you look at anybody, and everybody have different, you know, individual answers to this, but Jeff, you know, you probably have a four to five hour window where you are optimal, right? right? Where you're like, man, I'm firing on all cylinders, put me into that meeting, I'll bring some good insights. And then I think most of us probably have times of the day where we're almost brain dead, <laughs> and then, and then right. times in between. And so I realized I get 24 equal hours in the day, but not all of them are actually equal. That I am able, if I have to write something, if I'm writing between 5 a.m. and 10 a.m., the product is going to be better than if I write it from two to four in the afternoon or eight to 10 at night. I just, I'm tired. And it's just, it's a pattern that I have uh, no matter what. And so I realized instead of like using up those prime hours from five to 10 a.m., why don't I take what I'm best at, my communication, my leadership development, my offsite thinking, and why don't I do them? Why don't I do them when I'm at my best? And so I started to move my writing to front end load my writing, my sermon writing, my series writing, my blog writing, my book writing to that morning window. Another thing I did was I just learned enough about myself that I actually thrive when I spend no more than 50% of my time in my meetings, in meetings. Now, the challenge with that is I had way more requests than, than I, you know, I was able to fulfill for meetings. I could honestly spend 50 hours a week in meetings if I were said yes to, to things that people wanted me to do. But I decided ahead of time, there would be no meetings in my calendar on Monday, no meetings in my calendar on Wednesday, and generally very few meetings on a Friday, that all the meetings would fit into Tuesday and Thursday. And so it meant I cut out a lot of meetings. It means I cut down some meetings. It means that when people ask me to meet, I would look at my Monday and Wednesday, and I started writing in my calendar, writing day or create a block. And I would say, instead of seeing this big hole and going, yeah, Jeff, we can meet Wednesday, I would just say, oh, you know what? I'm tied up Wednesday. Sorry. Now, what I wouldn't tell the person is I'm tied up with writing or I'm tied up with thinking or I'm writing, you know, tied up with something else. Uh, I would just like make an appointment with myself. And I started to move to a fixed calendar where I pre-scheduled, like I can show you March of 2017 right now. And I'll tell you what I'm going to be doing. Now, that could change a little bit, but generally, uh, in, in the pattern I'd had for years, I don't do meetings on Monday, I don't do meetings on Wednesday, and if I do, it's a very deliberate exception to the rule. 
because I know that I need a lot of time to think. So making those adjustments, figuring out what I was best at, trying to do what I'm best at when I'm at my best, um, moving to a fixed calendar, and learning to say no nicely was some of the best moves I made. I, I outline all that stuff and, and a whole lot more in the, um, in the High Impact Leader, but man, uh, I'll tell you, that, that revolutionized things. And so often those books I've written were written at 5 to 7 a.m. in the morning, and then I'd switch to sermon writing. And in the High Impact Leader, you're really talking about less time management and more energy management. Is that correct? Yes. And that's exactly about doing what you're best at when you're at your best. So I realized just in the same way, you know, time is not equal, my energy isn't equal. So I started to manage my energy. And instead of fighting the fact that, hey, I got to, you know, clock in from six in the morning until six at night, I just started to realize at 11 a.m. I need a break. I need to go take a walk. I need to hop on my bike. I need to go walk around. I need a trip to Starbucks. And by cooperating with my rhythms and moving my most important priorities into those optimal hours, I got way more done. It wasn't like I got less done. I got I got more done. And and it's incredible. I heard a, an interview recently with um I think her name is Claire Diaz Ortiz. She was on um she was with the, the Twitter, Twitter team. The right. Yep. The Twitter team. And and she she's super high capacity, like, you know, triple A type, the whole deal. And she said something really interesting which got me thinking deeply. She says, I my theory is that most people only have twenty five to thirty good hours a week where they actually produce at their peak. And I thought about it, and I put that as sort of a lens over my last five, 10 years of leadership. I think she's right. I think most of, you know, this myth of like, I'm great 80 hours a week. No, you're not. I, I could count, <laughs> you know, numerous hours where I was just staring at a cursor on a screen. Why are you doing that? Or, you know, that time where you've got 15 messages you have to reply to in your inbox, there are moments where it takes you 10 minutes to do that and others where it could take you two hours. Well, when you're, when you're really dragging, why not take a break and just manage your energy differently? Like take a nap or uh, go for a bike ride or, or run or, you know, just, just get some kind of a break or go to lower maintenance stuff like clean out your inbox or, you know, get your expenses done. And that way it doesn't maybe require as much horsepower. So managing your time, managing your energy. One of the things you talked about, which I, I think our culture doesn't really buy into, is this idea of naps. Yeah. But if you look at it like Winston Churchill, John Kennedy, Harry Truman, I mean, they had a pretty good to-do list. They would take naps in the middle of the day. And when you read this in their biographies, you, you could think, what in the world? How, why are you taking a nap? And yet they could say, no, rest and napping helps me be better. Oh, sleep. I call sleep the um, secret leadership weapon nobody wants to talk about. Michael Hyatt actually has talked a lot about sleep, and I so applaud him for it. Also, um, in our generation, Arianna Huffington is on a sleep crusade because when right. I burned out, I slept a lot. Like there was a sleep deficit that was so deep. And I think sleep deficits are like financial deficits. You know, eventually a deficit becomes a debt because you can't pay it off anymore. And you eventually have to pay off that debt. And I spent a lot of the summer of 2006 sleeping as much as I could. And so I'm very, very mindful of how underrested 
I am at times, and I, I do no longer apologize for seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Uh, I will take a nap. I will schedule my speaking so I can get back to the hotel and lie down for a half hour or so. And uh, I'm a big believer in naps. And it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, if you were an iPhone, if human beings were iPhones, you're running at 17%, and then you plug yourself in for 40 minutes, and all of a sudden you're at 80% again. Like, oh, that's how I feel after I've had a 20-minute nap. Right. It feels so good. That's so good. Well, Carrie, final question. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking to launchers, and we want to help people turn good intentions into reality and launch them. But, you know, this launchers aren't necessarily maintainers, but... Mm-hmm. At the same time, there is this idea of, you know, seeing the project through. So the question is, how soon after starting something did the excitement wear off? And what advice would you give someone when the initial energy and enthusiasm dies down? Oh, I love that question. And and it's it's a tough one. I'm a starter. I've realized that, you know, and I've been at this for a long time, two decades now in leadership and I think that's why I love teaching at our church so much is because uh, we teach in series. So series tend to be, you know, three to six weeks. Right. And so I'm always working on something new. It feels like a new church plan, you know, podcasting. There's a new episode, blog. There's a new blog post, talk. There's a new city. You know, there's a new talk you can write. I love that. And after I've done something for a while, you're right, I quickly lose interest. Um, so what do you need to do? Well, number one, you can motivate yourself not just by new, but you can motivate yourself by the outcome right? And there are certain things that just need to be maintained. And that's where even if you can build a very lean team, it's really important to get an operator. I mean, a lot of the people who probably listen to this are visionaries by nature or launchers, right? So that's where it's really important to get a COO. That's where it's, it's, it's incredibly important to get a systems person who actually gets as energized by the system as you get by breaking the system or starting a new system. Right. And so it's that whole idea of team. And I'm really fortunate at the church that we've got a team with a varied skill set. And even the team that I've built over the last couple of years behind the blog and the podcast, there are people who just get totally energized by maintaining, by uh, things like accounting and by project coordination, which honestly would have overwhelmed and killed me by now. So, we live in an age of virtual teams, and I would encourage, you know, as you get a little bit of cash into your business or you get a little bit of opportunity to do so, start building a team and hand off the stuff that doesn't energize you. And then, hey, there's, you know, none of us has, has the job that energizes us 100% of the time. But when that happens, I just, I just go through and read the mail. I read email, I read social media, and I realize, wow, these are real people, and we get to make a difference in their lives. They're the hero. We're not the hero. Um, and that, that's tremendous motivation. And I think gratitude for God, to God. You know, gratitude is such a big thing. And so uh, I, have, I have great accountability partners. You're one of them, Jeff, you know, in my life. And I'll often say to the people around me, you know, just make sure that I'm always grateful. I want to make sure that my gratitude is at an all-time high, that I get to do this. I don't have to do this. And as soon as it starts to feel like drudgery to me, you know, that could be a sign you're in the wrong role. But, you know, my job, just because I like new, is not to start a new job every four months just to keep me interested. It's like, no, there's a maintenance aspect, but I have to make sure, sometimes that can be a heart issue. So I just want to make sure that before God, my heart's good 
and it's pure, and it's not too selfish, and it's not greedy, and I get to do this, and I really get to help leaders, and oh my goodness, God has actually brought an audience, and what a privilege it is to serve them and to serve a great congregation. So sometimes, honestly, Jeff, it's an attitude check for me. Mm, that's great, Kerry. Well, you're definitely a launcher that we're, we're, we're learning from. How, how can we stay in touch with you on social media? Uh, just kerryneuhoff.com is my blog, C-A-R-E-Y-N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F. If you come even close to that, Google will find it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm C. Newhoff on Twitter. I'm Kerry Newhoff on Facebook and Instagram. And I'd love to connect with you. That'd be great to chat a little bit more. Great. Thanks, Kerry. Appreciate the time. Go Canada. Jeff, really. (laughs) Go Canada. Yeah. Appreciate you so much, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped move you from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Find more great resources at launchu.net.